0: everybody and welcome to the dm's book club your favorite place for random ramblings about DD and all of its books i'm ryan i'm ready to go and i've got fiona here who also i think is ready to go although i am putting words in your mouth
1: Yes and yes. No, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm excited. You know, it's now. (laughs) Why why can't I just say I'm excited and you laugh? It's like no,
0: it's my excited face. The phrase "I'm excited" that just anybody who says it immediately doesn't seem excited. Like it's Uh, it's one of those I can't remember what the the name of the phrase is, but it instantly gives you the opposite reaction. mm. I just I am so ready for this. (laughs) Yeah, really. I think it's because we're British. So anything we say. Is dripping in sarcasm it's
1: already sarcastic yeah it's like it's like no no it's fine and you go oh but there's, there's a there's layers and there's trauma all in the you know history in that word fine yeah. trying to work out what it exactly
0: is. exactly yeah. it's like having a conversation with somebody from Britain where they say it's fine i don't want to talk about it anymore and you're like it's not fine and they do want to talk about it is yeah. that oh I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah but it's it's like again I again I've told the story so many times but when I was over in the US with my partner's friends they will say something to me and I'll say something back and they'll, there'll be a moment where they're like, ah, uh, yes. And I'm like, have you heard me or do you think I've been really sarcastic and you're not sure if it's an insult or not? And so I, every time I always like lose my self-confidence because I'm like, everything I say, it has to go through several different filters to yeah. get to them. And it's like, oh, God's sake, just, yeah. just treat me like a normal person.
0: I mean, there is that, you know, the stereotypical joke that Americans don't get sarcasm. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think I think sarcasm is something that is widespread around yes. the world. But I think what people don't realize is that, in Britain Sarcasm Maybe up to 50% Of our humour Like we yeah. We are dripping In the stuff And everything we say Is full of sarcasm All the time It's just mm. how we are Everything is Fake negative mm. And really pessimistic And just yeah. like Yeah Isn't isn't this wonderful Yay It's <laughs> raining again I'm so excited
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a TV show um, From Apple TV Called Ted Lasso Which I've watched And it's about the, the premise is A middle field American football coach Has been acquired To come over and teach Teach Premier League football. It is such an accurate representation of how a Midwest American comes over who's super lovely. And people are just like, oh, you're shit, aren't you? And they're like, wow, that, that, I don't think you mean that. That was, that was a not nice thing to say. And it's like, it's, it's very accurate about the British portrayal. But also for me, it feels very close to home. So I've definitely met those people who are very lovely. It's that sort of weird translation thing. You're like, you're too nice. There must be a reason. There must be a secret. No, no, you're just really nice. I don't know how to deal with that As, a, as an English person
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sincerity mm. Oh no It's my yeah. It's my foil I, can't uh, yeah, I, I, it.
1: I highly recommend it It's, it's, it's like eight episodes long I mean, I'm not into football Of the yeah. American Or the British variety at all But it is fascinating to watch Because obviously It's just The way it's put And I, can't, I it's filmed somewhere near London uh, As well Like yeah. a big stadium and stuff So yeah Really worth it
0: Amazing Amazing now that we've had that fantastic introduction, of let's course, jump yes. in some actual D&D. So what are we talking about today?
1: Right. Okay. So <laughs> I always have to start this with a preface. Um, I don't understand why people... Would play races outside of the main four. So you've got your humans, your dwarves, your elves, and your halflings. And I, and I love that as a <laughs> statement. Sorry, that is that is fantastic. I, I've got to grab you at the beginning. That's that's what I've decided. You've got to grab them. in. But what I've realized obviously over the last couple of years is that it's not other people's fault that I think like this. It's my fault I think like this. And because from the player's handbook, There's a lot of assumptions made about certain races, you know, that, well, these races are typically evil and these ones are typically good. And these ones are on the fringes of society and these ones are not. And since the, you know, we always talk about Tasha's, you know, the great, the great change. It's like, you don't have to be like this. And I was thinking about it to myself and I was thinking, why do I struggle with certain people picking certain races over and over again to play? Mm. And I realized it's because of the way they're written about in the player's handbook. And so today I want to talk about tieflings and sort of their counterpart of asimars. I'm going to say asimars, even though the Americans call it asimars, I can't take it seriously if they call them Asimars no um, yes no. No, I <laughs> and, totally
0: agree I totally agree
1: yeah so obviously tieflings is one of the main races playable races that you have in the player's handbook and Asimars were originally a sort of suggestion race in the DM's guide but now is in uh, Volo's guide to monsters as a playable race and I thought this would be quite interesting because both of them are I would say are like the opposites sort of a coin like one of them has stereotypically been very very evil and used as a sort of nefarious as a mistrust about them and the others are seen as heroically good uh, will fight the evil etc so you you think oh this would be perfect to set up as a balance as a sort of a, a relationship between them uh, which sort of I guess echoes in obviously the, the fights between uh, demons devils and angels for higher up but it puts it down onto player so I just thought it'd be interesting just to look at it and see like you know I guess for me question why people would like to play these races and can we get away from this sort of stereotypical, well, you're a tiefling, you must be evil or you're an ASMR. You must be good. I think that mm-hmm. that's sort of the aim of this episode.
0: No, I like it. I like it. As I say, the player's handbook was written years ago now in a way in a world that is slightly different to the one that we are currently residing in. And certainly D&D has evolved a lot over the last couple of years, especially in terms of how people are viewing choice and characters and backgrounds and a lot of the flexibility and and character creation that comes with that so Mm -hmm. definitely it's quite entertaining to go back and have a look at some of the older stuff and see what context that now can Mm -hmm. be read in and what you might be able to do to tweak it Mm -hmm. should we dive into tieflings first
1: let's dive into tieflings first so tieflings again everyone has the image of them because they're quite they've got a huge picture in the in the player's handbook obviously this is uh, page 42 to 43 in the, in the player's handbook um, and anywhere on dnd beyond uh you have this image of a tiefling you know in robes you know, horns purple has a tail you know and it talks about them uh first off as devil children which is not a great phrase i would say but it's <laughs> it's supposed to instill that fear and i think what i like about d d is that the way it tells stories, it says, like, these are generations past our it. there are mistrusts, there are biases, there are cultural things to each thing. And what it is for every culture in the Forgotten Realms, according to the, the Player's Handbook, is that tieflings are bad. They are, you know, you do not trust them because way back when the creation or how they came to be is that there was a pact with Asmodeus, the the Lord of the Nine Hells. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this pact or as a result of this one thing, they are paying, all these tieflings are paying back for what happened in this pack. So it's not only that those tieflings at the time, but it's their their children, children's children, and it's gone on for generations generations that they're holding this sort of trauma. They are greeted with stares and whispers wherever they go, and, and to the point where they suffer violence and insult, which I think is something I'd want to talk about in a little bit. But it's just because this one thing that they did has now sort of marred the rest of this race. And I found it fascinating again, going from the player's handbook. What you know, it's written as these are evil races. These, this feels like there's no redeeming features for them as a as a race. So in my head, back at the time, I was like, well, why would you want to play this? Why mm. would you want, you know, unless you were like, okay, we're going to play the anti-hero campaign, or I want to play someone that's that's not like that. Why were so many people playing Tieflings? And as I sort of read sort of this and thinking about what Tasha says, is like, well, obviously, we can't blame people now for things that have happened you know that has come before that other people did and I think what I'd hope and I I know we've said this before is that I hope in the you know when they revise this or when, when we ever move to a new edition that stuff like this is taken out like it's, it's an example of something that happened but it doesn't apply to one uh, race or one heritage it can apply to any heritage if they want to play that and it's about for me setting that expectations I guess we setting expectations with alignment. Like we've had this conversation, actually we're talking about Curse of Strahd. I have one of the players asking me, like, well, what if I want to play an evil character? And I was like, well, that's fine. But are, you, but are you using that as your motivation for everything? Or is it like you're doing it per action? Whenever you get a choice, are you constantly taking the evil approach? And what does evil mean to you? Because I think both good and evil is subjective depending on other outside influences. So I do think now that I think about it and looking at... The player's handbook It's not as clear cut As it makes it out And creating stories With these rich Complicated characters We can't just say Well that's good or well, that's evil It depends on all these contexts
0: I think a lot of it Is separating out The differences Between your character's alignment And the Infernal bond That happened Generations ago mm-hmm. The fact that There is Some sort of Pact of Asmodeus That happened Beyond your control Yes that influences The physical attributes of your character and how other people react to it if that's Mm -hmm. as a dm the way you want to go but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have any direct bearing on your alignment or how your character acts that's the important distinction i find and one that the player's handbook doesn't make especially clear Uh, it kind of hints at it but 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 it's not only now that we've sort of really started to sort of look through that you're right the fact that these People have that infernal heritage will give them problems in the same way that ASMR have angelic bloodlines and and that affects them. And and it's in the same way that dwarves look like dwarves and elves look like elves. But it doesn't necessarily have to define how your character reacts, who they are, their personality, and how you want to play them. Those are all very separate things yeah as you say you can have a tiefling that embraces their infernal heritage and you can have one that strives to do good in everything they do Mm -hmm. because they are a constant reminder of evil in the world to themselves maybe they don't even see it as an evil thing maybe it's like actually you know it's got nothing to do with me whatsoever and i can't i can't really question it and it gives me these powers so that's great
1: for me i guess when i run stories and stuff i don't necessarily want to as a dm perhaps and maybe as a player I see this as a, a way to escape everyday life. So when it says stuff like, well, your a character like this will be greeted with stares, and whispers, and possibly even violence and insult. I wouldn't wish that on anyone but again it is a creating that culture and like you said all cultures have biases towards you know, Like you said like the elves and dwarves they mistrust each other and stuff but like to the point where it leads to violence that's when I'm like oh I'm not so sure about it so but like with all these things these could be rewritten you can make it so that the tieflings are the majority or a main race and one of the others isn't you know and, and I think it's just making sure that is put somewhere in a book, <laughs> which I know is, it sounds very straightforward, but if it's an unwritten rule, people don't realise it's there and signposting it. But yeah. let's let's move let's move on because I I, guess I could go on for ages about this. But talking about the infernal bloodline, so it's like what do tieflings like? What is their appearance? What is this imprint that they've had from this pact? So they look human still, but they have like clear sort of horns. So you, and what's quite cool is that it talks about appearance being that like you have the traditional sort of ram's horns which turn around. You have like gazelle horns, which I thought was really cool, like sort of pointed up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You can have them big small or whatever and i guess again is that imagery again you think devils they have horns and stuff like that so again you like you associate it to and they're dwelling and evil stuff uh they have a tail which i kind of forgot about because it mm-hmm. like why would you use a tail but canine teeth the eyes are solid colors with no visible pupil different color skin tones which i think is quite nice because then obviously that can refer to any kind of pact with any sort of a devil which i'm sure we'll go on to as well. But ultimately, it talks about sort of like if we're using this sort of the culture of like there, you can't trust them, et cetera, going from the place handbook. It talks about how they exist as small minorities. They are found in sort of human cities, but on the outskirts. They are sort of in the roughest of places. So you understand that they they may be more likely to be uh, from a criminal network or a swindler or crime lords in some way, because that is the the world that they've grown up in. And it's, like I said, what's interesting for me is that when I watch streams of them, everyone who plays a tiefling is not like that at all they play them as you know honorable monks who will fight for justice and free their people they will play crafty uh musicians they will play you know loving nature loving druids and that to me again because of that disconnect from what i read and from what i saw i was like well why are people doing this and i was like now i'm like well obviously they do this because this is this is so sad like why would you want to play a character that suffers all these injustices when you could change the story So I just thought, again, that going, I know I go on about Tasha's But being able to change that, that sort of dynamic And play whatever you want with a, with a tiefling Is just, yeah, just great really
0: I have to say, you mentioned it The tale I always forget as well It's just such a little thing But mm. not not a little thing It's a huge personality thing That I guess stems you apart as a character And yeah. and yeah, no, you're right it's, it's all of that stuff to do with the actual background of, of who this race is As a DM, you have the choice to change that and to apply it in in such a way that you want so you can remove or change or, or add in detail on any of that sort of background yes. in terms of actually playing a tiefling then so mm. what sort of traits have they got that you've got to keep an eye out for
1: so in terms of traits obviously age they're a bit like humans in a way maybe last a little bit longer last a bit longer <laughs> as humans just like die off they have superior dark vision so they can see in the dark 60 feet which again makes sense uh because anything with the uh, devilish devilish heritage can't say that in the morning that, that will have like some sort of dark vision for that resistance to fire so this is going off the sort of player's handbook one which assumes uh the tiefling is from Asmodius. that sort of lineage i guess but obviously we'll go into the fact that obviously with all the nine archdevils there's different uh, resistances they can have and replace stuff with and um, they have this thing called legacy infernal legacy and again, it changes depending on uh, which archdevil you are part of. But in the in the Player's Handbook, you've got Pharmaturgy, Hellish Rebuke, and Darkness. And those are the sort of ones you, spells you can get as a sort of innate spell cast you get at different levels. Finally, you just go, what languages can you speak? Well, you can speak Common and Infernal, which might be useful uh, depending on, on where you go. But again, with tashes, you can switch that out. Um, yeah. But that's pretty much it in terms of uh, like the, the sort of core cool things you get as T things. I mean, dark vision is always really good. It's always helpful. Resistance to fire is a good one early yeah. on, I think, because obviously if you're fighting dragons or you there's explosions nearby halving that that's pretty pretty good as well
0: absolutely and it's it's one of those things resistance is you forget how useful it can be until you're fighting yeah the dragon and you're like oh no hang on this is yeah. good I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm cool with this this is fantastic i think traditionally they were seen as being very good sorcerers bards paladins anything that involves having a little bit of charisma although again stats these days can be changed a lot and and tweaked as you want but yeah they were definitely seen as a a face player so somebody that wants to be upfront and doing a lot of role playing or a lot of interacting with Mm. npcs and the environment because charisma is a very utilized skill having some intelligence works as well um not many actually really at all races have intelligence as a boost so Mm. unusual of that one it's worth pointing out again because, I mean, we've had sessions on this and it's a difficult one to remember sometimes, but devils and demons in D&D are two very different things. And this is definitely the devil lineage. Yeah. So when we talk about things like hellish resistance and infernal legacies, this is to do with the nine hells and with Asmodeus rather than demons and demon lords like Gratz and, uh, you know, all of the other ones. And yes. <laughs> it is worth keeping that in mind because as I say, there are now variations of teethlings And the abilities mm. that you can have with them Which I, I guess is sort of what we're going to have a look at next And mm. it's all to do with the different layers of hell mm. uh, I would, as a little bit of a narration point If you don't know about the layers of hell We've actually done a session on the hell generally And I think we've done another session on Zariel Who's, who's one of the mm. devil, the greater devils, devil lords I forget what the sort of official title of them yeah. is Maybe I need to go back and watch that will listen to that podcast again. As a, I've just yeah. totally forgotten myself. But yeah. what other different taflings can we have?
1: Yeah, exactly what you said. Obviously, um, you have the sort of nine Archdevil or Devil Lords of each layer of Hell. Uh, Zariel will be the one people will probably recognise the most because obviously there's a whole dedicated adventure to Zariel's level of Avernus, a so descent into Avernus. And reading it again, because it's, it's it's very short and, and pithy, each of these sort of descriptions that if you are a tiefling of this lineage and all that changes really is the legacy stuff, that you just change like what spells you know at different levels and stuff, and gives you sort of insight into like, well, these again, Typically, if you are formed from this pact, you're good at these things. So, for example, in Zario, it says you are stronger and receive magical abilities that help aid you in battle. Uh, So for that, you get Thaumaturgy. Everyone loves a good Thaumaturgy. Searing Smite and Branding Smite. So again, stuff that will power you up when you attack. Other ones, again, to remind people, we've got Dispater. I will say, I've forgotten how to pronounce all of these things because it's been so long. So forgive me <laughs> forgive me if I say them Dispater, wrong. Dispater,
0: Dispater, I don't actually know. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those, isn't it?
1: It's one of those. Uh, yeah, so Dispater is all about secrets and sharing them with the highest bidder. So anyone from that lineage will maybe be good at spying or infiltrating something. And for that, again, their legacy is that you get Thaumaturgy, Disguise Self and Detect faults. Which, I, again, could be very useful if you're, you're building sort of a character who is as from a spy network or is just generally like um, a charlatan is what I'm thinking from a background. Which, mm-hmm. again, some of the stuff that they've talked about is that like when you're doing a quick build, certainly with tiefling, sometimes they go, oh, and charlatan. Which, again, is not necessarily what you might want to do. But again, it is, it is interesting to see how it's written like that. The other one that came to mind was Levistus, who is, again, uh, you might remember this. So Levistus is entombed on uh, like an ice glacier of some sort uh, mm. on a layer of hell. And they're known for offering bargains to people who can't escape a certain doom or destiny, which I I always loved as sort of a, you can't get out of this, but I can help you. And you wonder if the consequence of, of that offer is worse than death itself, which I just thought was great. <laughs> uh, for their legacy, you get a uh, Ray of Frost and Armor of Agathus and Armor of because is one of those ones again. Critical role uses it quite a bit, where it's just it's just this really cool effect. And I just I, when I see it, I was like, oh yeah, I, I'd like that. <laughs> which doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily justify escaping my doom for a certain death, but I I just thought that was uh, was really cool.
0: Yeah, there's there's a tiefling for every type of devil, really. And as I say, it's all about creating that thematic link between the bloodline and the heritage of your tiefling and the abilities it's got but none of these affect what and how you play your tiefling it's always worth keeping that in mind you know the fact that your tiefling stems from levistus doesn't necessarily mean that they have to always enjoy the cold and want to entomb people and off people bargains and you know all of that stuff they can still be whoever they want they can shun their heritage they can you know you can play your character as you would like it's just they're very interesting little tweaks on yeah. the spells you get and the abilities you get it's yeah. worth pointing out as well that only two actual things change between the tiefling is written in the player's handbook and the tieflings written in Mordekainen's tome Mm. it's only the ability score increases and the Mm -hmm. infernal legacies Mm -hmm. so even if you are a tiefling that is part of Lovistus as the book is written you still have resistance to fire not to ice it's it's worth keeping that in mind although again with conversations of your dm you might be able to change various resistances Mm -hmm. accordingly I know that for instance critical role Did that with one of the tieflings in the group before this book came out. They made her into a sort of frost Mm -hmm. tiefling with resistances to frost and using ice based damage with the hellish rebuke. Mm -hmm. So that was a tweak that happened before these sort of tweaks were a thing. So there's all kinds of customization that you can do. Mm -hmm. I think as I'm looking at it, it seems like the book wants to continue the charisma. Plus two. Yeah. That doesn't really seem to go anywhere. It's just other little sort of subtraits. And I mean, yeah, I mean, some of these are, are really, really cool. It, it's well worth going through hmm. the what the, the sections about the blood war and about yeah. generally the layers of hell and how these things work because it's just oh the, the law here is is <laughs> thick and interesting and absolutely mad, I find.
1: I agree. Like it's it's again that sort of thing where Getting information, getting these story hooks about this is how your character came to be. It doesn't have to say how you play that character, but just that little history. It's I, I guess for a DM maybe more than a player. I'm not sure, but yeah, I just love having that knowledge and learning about these things, and like just being. How can I twist it into my own story, perhaps? But just to also say as well, if none of these um, Tiefling the heritages really catch your eye, or like, oh, I'm not so sure. There is a variant Tiefling. Which, you know, it does say that not all tieflings come from a amos- uh, as, oh my God, amodious. I can't even say amodious <laughs> now. Um, you know, you can have different things. And what it does is that you it talks about like, well, if you want to change your appearance, you can do a roll 1d4 plus one and you can choose from stuff like small horns, fangs, forked tongue, cat-like eyes, six fingers on each hand, mm-hmm. goat-like legs, cloven hooves, a forked tail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you have, so you can have, change that, look about you if you just want to have certain things but then it says to replace the infernal legacy you can choose one of the following options you have devil's tongue which allows you to get like vicious mockery charm person and enthrall you could have hellfire it replaces hellish rebuke essentially you don't have to yeah. shout it out loud and then a very interesting one that just says winged and it says that you get bat like wings and a flying speed of 30 feet when you're not wearing heavy armor and I was like, Hang on. <laughs> why why doesn't everyone be a variant tiefling and get the ability to fly at level 1? Yeah. yeah, like it just replaces something else, but the fact you get a flying speed straight away and only if you obviously if you're not wearing heavy armor, but still I was like that's a game changer for me as a DM because suddenly like oh great, they're now flying.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's, is that actually better than Arakokra? I'm just trying to remind myself with them. I think it's, they can be wearing light armor mm. and still fly, but medium, not so much. So yeah, that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so all, again, there's so many options to like, if you want to do it, but again, it's, for me, it's always been like, why are you playing this character? What is your expectation? Is it because, oh, t have been traditionally evil and I want to play an evil character. And then obviously I would say, well, there is, you could do that with any race. Or is it something like actually I want to you know explore this sort of heritage a bit? I want to explore you know this mistrust thing and how I would deal with it as a character. And like again, as long as all the other players are happy with it, that this is something that wishes to be explored. Because some people, again, like I said, might just want to be like I just want to fight the monster and get home and save the town. It's yeah. again, it's just setting that expectation up front with, uh, with with being an evil character. And it's just interesting for me because obviously tieflings. But in my head, were always linked to evil because of the way it was in the player's handbook. And hopefully, going forward, not so much anymore. That any race could be evil. That, that's my motto now. Any, exactly, any race could be evil. Exactly.
0: Well, it, but it's interesting that we took this as a topic because behind the scenes, we're we're currently preparing to start a Curse of Strad campaign under the DM ship of fee, which I'm looking forward to hugely. It's, it's, I get to play a character and 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 sort of enjoy that. But. I've been thinking about creating my character for this, and I decided to go with a tiefling of Mm. Zariel. Mm. And it's interesting in the sense that you think about this in exactly the way we're talking about. You've got this link to an infernal legacy that gives you powers, gives you an appearance, but how you choose to react to that is totally your own. Mm. So I decided to think, well, well, Zariel, Zariel is the fallen angel of battle, of flames, of swords, and of vanquishing. Mm. So I'm playing a tiefling who has those skills so you know like gets a little bit more strength and gets a little bit more charisma and has a couple of smiting spells and has that trait to him that in like innately he is designed to be somebody who can pick up a sword and smite and vanquish Mm -hmm. but my character is going to realize that and from an early age goes no, no, that's not for me. I, I, I don't want that at all. And so, carved a life out as essentially a sort of local priest, effectively going around and, you know, trying to bless people and and generally being a sort of village like good person Mm. Uh, you know seeing this legacy and then going no that's not quite that's not who i want to be and sort of not fighting against it but just it's like this doesn't define me i don't Mm. have to be this person i'm going to use these skills but Mm -hmm. ultimately if i still want to be a good person i'll channel this ability and i'll try and you know Mm -hmm. put a positive slant on it so
1: yeah yeah, interesting and then just going from the opposite side of that so from my point of view reading reading Curse of Strahd, the obviously Barovia itself as is a demiplane where the locals have not seen or heard of, you know, all these different kinds of races. So it says in the book quite like, clearly is that anyone that does not fit the necessary, like, well, we don't recognise it, are faced with mistrust. And that's not just for tieflings, that could be for any races that are, are seen as different because, again, because they've lived under this rule of fear, it's going to be very interesting for me to play it. Like I've I've said to everyone that they can play whatever they want, apart from anything that can fly uh, as, <laughs> as my one rule. And it's been interesting that having these conversations as when well, people wanted to play different races. Cause then again, in my head it's like, well, why would you want to do that? But then trying to go like, okay, forget that. What will happen in this particular thing? What does the book say? Do I want to change from that? Do I want to, you know, do I want to tweak with it a bit? So it's been it's been interesting from that point of view because, um, like you said, you're thinking of tiefling. There's been talks about asimars or asimars. One person's thinking of being a shifter. Uh, you know, so it's all these different things. Which like these are you know really interesting characters and a way to explore them. But it's like put them into this world which has cert- certain set hierarchy or sets sort of uh, assumptions. It's it's going to be really interesting to play. I'm really, really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be fantastic. We mentioned them a few times now, ASMR being the other side to the coin. So do you want to give us a little bit of background about what they are and what they're about?
1: I will. So ASMRs are, compared to tieflings, they're seen as like, People who have souls who are touched by the light of heaven, which sounds so much better than God children. I don't know. Like, it just feels God's like, children. well, yeah. think about it. Like, obviously, like devil children and like, oh, that's devil spawn. But then these people are like, oh, well, they've got goodness in them. And that's and that's what it's described. They are descended from humans that have had a touch of power from the Mount of Celestia, uh, Mount Celestia even. Whereas before it sounded like, oh, well, tea things are made from this pact and a sort of out of wedlock sort of thing. Here it's like, well, it's a good thing. This is a, a really good thing that you know, these people have come to save us. They're sort of defined or written about in Bolo's guide to monsters as if they are uh, celestial champions. They are seen as they are going to be guardians of good and law. They're expected to strike down evil you know, and lead by example. And I think that's the key thing here is leading by example and being judge, jury and ex- executioner in a way. Like these, these are the Avengers or the avatars of justice. I think that's fascinating how we put so much pressure on one kind of uh, heritage and then flip it to the other side when easily you can see, oh, this has definitely got room for interpretation for being going wrong or not being as expected. Because whenever someone puts that pressure on you to be where you're going to succeed and you're going to smite evil and stuff, what's to stop people going, no, I'm good. I actually want to explore stuff. Or there's more purpose to life than just, you know, sticking on the straight and narrow. There's discovering and meeting people changes your worldview. And being good or being evil is not uh, the black and white issue that we think so yeah for me it's just fascinating to to see how it was written but then there was definitely more of a paragraph saying well of course there are such things as fallen asmrs whereas obviously in tieflings it said well obviously there are good tieflings but at the same time most tend to be evil so i just it was just a really interesting balance for for reading about them
0: again treading that balance between these are influenced by good but they don't necessarily have to be good in the same Mm -hmm. way that a tiefling can fight against their infernal heritage and decide to try and be as good as they can this describes you know that gift of of mount celestia being almost a thorn in some ASMR side that constant expectation that they're supposed to be good and that people love them and greet them with open arms and they're just thinking no i don't want this i I want to be that evil person i want to do things and they fight against it so Mm. the actual character and how you play it is totally up to you Mm. i think there's some really interesting sort of ways of playing that where the you know, is, is an ASMR's fallen nature actually part of who they are and choices they've made? Or is mm-hmm. it something that was given to them like the fact that they are an ASMR in the first place? Mm. Uh, did they fight against it? Did they try for redemption or is it not of interest to them? It's mm-hmm. it's an interesting sort of, uh, yeah, like a sort of mix between. But, yep. but mechanically, uh, anything interesting to pick up about ASMR?
1: so again uh they can see well good in the dark superior dark vision that's always good yeah. um they have celestial resistance so uh, resistance to necrotic and radiant damage which is it makes sense in a way um Again, compared to tieflings, it's like, oh, they get against like a, a general sort of fire one, whereas necrotic and radiant, you're probably going up against more, not superior monsters, but more complex monsters that can do this, or more otherworldly monsters, I would say. Yeah, more creatures yeah. Healing hands. So you gain, you can, it's basically, um, oh God, what's it called that paladin's do now? The, uh, yeah.
0: Lay on hands. Lay on hands. Yeah.
1: Wow. My, blo- hang on, error. Uh, so you can gain a number of hit points equal to your level once per long rest. So obviously, you know, you can you can bit that out. You can use the light cantrip. And language is Common and Celestial, which makes sense. But the one thing I found really interesting is that one of the things that make Asimovs who they are. So like we talked about, the thing that you know connects sort of like Tieflings and Asimovs is that there's a secrecy to them. Whereas Tieflings, they like they have to hide. So per se. Asimirs also have to do the same thing, because, you know, they like you said, they're seen as good everywhere, so they'll have, like, your hoods or, or shielded helms, etc. But the one thing I really loved about Asimirs is this idea of an ASMR guide. Every ASMR will have a link to an angelic being uh, who provides guidance in some way, or sort of as a mentor character, because... In a way, you know, if they have a you know the touch of goodness from Mount Celestia, that's kind of a big deal. So presumably, those up top want to just keep a tab on it, just in case something does go wrong, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And this angelic being, this guide, can only communicate through dreams, which is always a it's a lovely thing for the DM to be like, okay, so everyone's having a long rest, right you i'm going to talk to you for 20 minutes about <laughs> something you did wrong <laughs> so i just yes. oh yeah i just and you, let's go through yeah. your
0: day let's mm-hmm. let's have a think about what you've done and we'll learn some action points no i don't want to keep talking to you i've just well, murdered that, someone
1: and that's the thing so again uh dnd loves their table so you obviously you've got names for them that you could use but also the nature of a guide so you've got like bookish and lecturing you've got compassionate and hopeful uh kind of parental stern and judgmental again it's that sort of thing where it's like reporting back here we talked about guilds uh in the previous episode that thing where you have a contact but this person can come at you at any time and say what was that it's almost like a parents evening in my head <laughs> like but i guess the key thing to remember is that with angelic guides or at say asmr guides is that they're not omniscient, they'll know stuff. And if you fought against a certain creature or monster, they might have some help in that, but they can't tell you what's going to happen or what has happened. And maybe they'll, depending on their nature, keep secrets from you because they want you to do the right thing. So again, in my head, I have this really cool thing where in the sense of, there is an agenda from Mount Celestia and they're putting you to do it, but you might not want to do it. Or you, if you knew about it in its full entirety, you might be like, oh, that's not good. For example, it talks about you're going past a village that needs saving, but the angelic guide says, no, you need to keep going because there's a bigger evil ahead. Don't bother with this village. And having that tension, having that thing, again, the same thing with the guilds that do you guilt someone into doing that? Like, I, I love stuff like that, where you give them a choice and all choices are valid, but you pick one, you go, okay, that that part of the story is now gone from you. And it's that that sudden fear you see in players' eyes going, oh, I could have done something. It's like, like maybe it has consequences, maybe it doesn't. And yeah, I just felt that as a really cool sort of story-telling element where you can just give them the choice. Mm. Because you, you've been told by someone technically in a white coat that you need to do one thing. Like, do you follow what your guide says? So
0: Yeah, what is your guide's true motivation? As a DM, that's, that's a fantastic role-playing aspect to be. As you say, there's that choice of fighting the greater good. But maybe... I think mean, the book describes it as, you know, the deva or celestial being resides in a plane of absolute law and good mm-hmm. and may not actually understand the choices that you're making on the mortal realm. So, you yeah. know, these standards they hold you to may be inflexible. Mm-hmm. And that might be one of the reasons that you are fighting against them so hard because you don't quite understand why they're choosing to be like that. And they don't get you and they don't get the choices you're making. And there's a sort of butting of heads to do with that. So mm-hmm. it's uh yeah, it's all kinds of fantastic role-playing opportunities. The book gives us three different types of ASMR as well. I think two of them are kind of similar and one is a little bit different, but yeah. what sort of stuff can you do?
1: The two sort of you referring to the two very similar ones, which I call good and then too much good is the protect ASMR <laughs> and the scourge ASMR. Protector, asma, I think, is what people would associate when you think of an angelic being or a, an angel in human form. You know, they are charged typically by the powers of good to guard against the guard the, guard against the weak, guard the weak, to strike at evil whenever it stands, and to stand vigilant against the dark. Uh, sort of like again, very paladin esque. Sort of like here is your duty; you have to take part in it the sort of thing that you sort of the uh, racial or sort of the inherited thing that you get with this is something called Radiant Soul. And it describes it as having incorporeal wings and you get the flight speed of uh, 30 feet for a minute. So you can flap around the battlefield briefly, which I was like, okay, that's not too bad because that's like once per big combat per se. Um, And it deals extra radiant damage at your level. I think that's pretty good. Having You can easily just, you know, as as I tend to do when I play Aubrey, is like get the wings out, (laughs) hit hard, Done, that's the first round, Is like, yep. okay, now to work on the rest of it So yeah, there's just something about that, it's, it feels like very Flying avenger s type thing for that So yep. yeah, then you have too good as <laughs> Too much good to give Too much good to give, it's the Scourge Asimar So it's described as, this person is imbued with the divine energy that blazes intently within them And feeds a powerful desire to destroy It is at best unflinching, but at its worst all-consuming and in my head, I picture um, oh, Scott Summers, what's it, Cyclops from X-Men. The fact that this person, like, and he talks about, like, that basically when you use your, what's it called, radiant, it's not radiant consumption, thank you, thank you, AutoCrit. What is radiant <laughs> consumption? Never mind. Um, causes a searing light to radiate from you, pouring out of your eyes and mouth, threatening to char you. So it's just, like, it's almost uncontrollable, like, sort of... Sort of like yeah, melting out.
0: Normally, you, you you associate that with some sort of evil demigod, don't you? Like yes. white hot, like mouth and and like flames coming from them.
1: So often they wear masks to hide this feature because again, it's that sort of thing. So i been thinking like almost like a visor, either Cyclops style or Jodie from Star Trek. So with this, you shed a bright light, which is always useful. On each of your turns, you and each creature takes radiant damage equal to half your level, rounded down. So the fact that when you use this ability, it hurts you and Mm -hmm. every creature, you can't pick who it hurts. It's just, it's pretty much a Hail Mary. Essentially you have to rush in and explode. And I love that as a sort of a, as a a vision sort of thing, but the fact it can hurt you and obviously at lower levels, you're like, Oh, you might go down. So if you just suddenly like overburn yourself, et cetera, I just, yeah, it's just something about it is just amazingly cool. But in my head as well, it's like, well, this is what happens when it's too much, too much good, too much things that it just burns you from the inside. And it's like, oh, such a powerful image.
0: It's really, really cool. Mechanically, it's worth pointing out that you actually take half the damage yourself because you are resistant to radiant energy, but equally... I mean, there was this image that we've I was thinking of with sort of Curse of Strad, where say a vampire were to sort of pick you up and start like going, I'm going to bite your neck now. And you go, go on then, and then just burst into light. And they're like, okay, do I drop this thing or do I not? This is mm. this, this hurts now. Like mm. I love that that sort of image of uncontrollably being able to like not stop it. Mm. I quite, I quite enjoy that. It's yeah, it is cool. Like, yeah, what happens if you if you fall unconscious because of your own radiant damage, like, what does that look like? What yeah. mechanically does that feel like?
1: Mm, yeah, just that idea, like, almost like rogue S from X-Men, like, it just burns you from the inside, like, just getting, yeah, getting all this power. It's like, can you control it? And, I, again, that's a really cool sort of story element if you wanted to go with that. But, as you said, we've got the good, we've got the too good, and then we've got less good. <laughs> yeah, the Evil, fallen. The fallen. So, yeah, of course, there's that point where, it, where and I think it made a really good point earlier on in this sort of description of it, it talks about conflicted souls. Mm-hmm. So throughout their whole life, a are told like, well, you have to be good. You have to do this. You have to do this. It's for the good of everyone. The greater good, as I'd like to, you know, the okay, greater good. good. <laughs> There's a point where it says some people turn away from it and even turn to evil because they see this as brainwashing. And I just thought that sentence, that sort of line, was such a cool concept. Again, talking about this, having hindered agendas, holding things away as the guide away from your ASMR player, they'd be like, well, hang on, why didn't you tell me? Why don't you trust me? And then you have that whole sort of like idea of like Lucifer falling from heaven, that sort of, you know, there's also those uh, connotations from that. But like, I like that idea It's like, actually what this hidden agenda, it's not fulfilling the good that I see in the world or what I want in the world. So I'm going to turn away. And this is all they're saying is brainwashing. It's like, yeah, almost cult-like in a way, I guess. Mm. And yeah, just that's so different. Because again, that sort of image, like, well, you know, power of gods, you know, uh, it's all for the greater good and stuff like. That. But actually, it's the same reasoning people would say that if you're a part of a cult, and yet you don't necessarily see that because you think, oh well, tieflings are the, the ones that have this, and they're the ones with the cults bringing back ancient gods and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, having this idea that they're turning away from good. It says in the Paul and asthma things, you're touched by dark powers as youth, or turn to evil in early adulthood, whose inner light has been replaced by a shadow. Whoa. Oh. Uh. Oh.
0: <laughs> I know, not so ASMR anymore, are you? <laughs>
1: Absolutely Um. Yeah, and for this, your sort of special Inheritant feature is a Necrotic Shroud So this time you have two skeletal Ghostly flightless wings, so you can't fly But you look bloody badass as you do it mm-hmm. And then people become frightened of you Until the end of your next turn uh, So again, just having that starting off Like again if, again, if you're playing the big bad Or if you're the anti-hero perhaps Using that sort of first move, just like I have wings, you know, come at me, even though you can't fly. Again, I can just imagine if you had like a Protector ASMR and a a Fallen ASMR fighting. Is that sort of, you know, evil and good, all those imageries there. And then you get, for the extra minute, you get the extra necrotic damage when you attack uh, equal to your level. So yeah, it's again just a flip of what the uh, Protector ASMR is, but again for me it's just the image of it that's so cool
0: oh it's awesome no i absolutely love it it's really 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 cool and again gives you fantastic role-playing opportunities as to whether or not that fallen aspect was something your character willingly achieved unwillingly achieved or Mm -hmm. was given to them inherently and whether they're fighting against it or not or Mm -hmm. what does their deva look like have they still got a deva trying to save them as Mm -hmm. an angelic guide or has that disappeared and now there's a void maybe there was a guide throughout their lives and it just stopped. after a while, like, Mm. what happened?
1: To me, I get real big vibes of, like, good omens, that sort of thing where you have the cool talking one who was actually, was originally an angel, and then you have the angel that talk, and they have to work together to fulfill a prophecy. So that, in my head, would be a really cool one-shot-esque thing, and anything to do with Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, just putting that into a world, and making it less maybe about good and evil, like the big players, as it were, reducing it down to the people themselves and the relationships between those two, but with all this backstory and it's all, I guess baggage of what to think about. So yeah, that is yeah for me is actually really really interesting to see that in, in a book. I guess.
0: I mean, out of all of these things, is there any one that you think you might want to give a try to playing, like ASMR or teeth playing? Anything really sort of does it for you?
1: That is a very very good question because I, as you know, I don't play, <laughs> I don't play races outside my my comfort zone. Um, I guess. Uh, well, I have played an ASMR. I played an Aesema rogue at level 20 very recently for a game of Pantheon. My God, level 20 is terrifying when you yeah. jump into it. But it's um yeah, it was really interesting about like all the stuff you can, can and can't do. And I think I think it was just a general protector, ASMR, when I think about it, because it seems very straightforward in what you can do. Um I feel like the Scourge one, there's a tendency to burn brightly and then burn out. I, it could be cool for role-playing things But again, maybe it's just a one-shot That you're, you're facing the good and evil I think if it was a long-term campaign I think either Protect Asimar Or just a variant Tiefling to be honest with you, just to try, just to try it out, and I love the idea of trying out like Hellfire, so having burning hands, actually doing damage rather than hellish rebuke, which is I know is a reaction rather than attack. So yeah, any any of those sort of variant tiefling or a protector asimov for sure.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I could play. Oh, asmar sound really cool. I'm really looking forward to playing as Ariel tiefling. I mm. must say, there's that element of like fighting against one's heritage. I'm looking forward to sort of giving it a go. Um, nice. I I just think especially when you mix it together with the changes in Tasha about whether or not you want to play your character as strictly written in the book, Mm -hmm. it's good fun. You've got lots of opportunities here to really change things as you want and have a go in sort of different ways. So, yeah, Yeah. I I think I think there's some really good races here. It's a, a good topic.
1: Ryan, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're up to? Like what's new with you, man?
0: My phone is currently charging, so I've already plugged it, which is quite good. Very good. Ha ha. Joke. Come and find me on Discord, us around Discord. Um, you can come and talk to me about D&D and other sort of things like that. What are you up to?
1: What am I up to? I'm I'm being assaulted by your dad jokes. Um, uh, I am
0: really <laughs> peppered by them, you could say.
1: <sighs> My name is Jenna, I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very well. Um, what is there to talk about? I, I got uh, asked to be on a Warhammer stream, another Warhammer stream, because uh, they liked me so much last time they want me back for more. Which Are you is enjoying Warhammer.
0: I... Uh, it's an interesting experience. You, I thought.
1: You know what? It's all right. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's for me when I see a character sheet. I've said this a thousand times before. When I see a character sheet which buffers and is a lot, and your health is on the second page, not the first. I'm like, oh, I need to. I need to really concentrate on this. But it sounds fun. Like again, the idea that you are playing low level, like what I say, commoners. You're not part of the big battles. It's like the small things. It's definitely. Wait, I guess the ideal you think of it is like, oh, you're going to play Space Marines. You're going to do this. When actual fact, it's more like Red Dwarf mixed with a bit of black adder. There's yeah. a lot of again that weird sort of bit where it's all admin and there's all this like, are you are you talking about heresy? no no I'm not talking about are you talking about heresy like like that sort of (laughs) subtle entendre like I was like oh this is the kind of comedy I'm here for so yeah Yeah, so that, that I'm looking forward to also, again, uh, exciting news in the fact that we have an offer code now for a local friendly game shop in Burnley, uh, Third, Gaming, Burnley. Third, Third Space Gaming, I'll get the name right one day, where if you use the offer code DMBC, you get 10% off your first order there and that can be on anything. So if you if you really enjoy like Bowler's Guide to Monsters, they've got the new D&D books like Candlekeep Keep Mysteries and the new Van Richten Guide to Ravenloft, there you go, feel free to and buy it. from there fantastic mm-hmm. Wow, what
0: an episode what, what a episode. ride I hope you guys enjoyed it and we will see you all next time goodbye Bye. <laughs>